You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little bloodsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers the king. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Whoever you are out there in the wide world, thank you so much for lending me your ears. This week, I had... This week, last week, late last week, five days ago, I don't know. I had the good fortune, pleasure of speaking with none other than Graham Stockton. Now, um, I spoke to Graham about four years ago and he's just... He's one of those people that strikes a chord with you on on just on a deep level of of care. Graham operates. Um, he he. I'd say you'd almost say his life is of service, and his life is of service to um, the natural world that we live in. He's a deep thinker, a deep carer about all things natural. Uh, humane and sustainable you know he studied horticulture um, he has a, has a deep knowledge of the flora and fauna and native species and and what is going on on a level that most of us just whiz by in our car and don't think about and I'm guilty of it too but I, I love talking to Graham um, you know and, and I love what he does he's just one of the, the quiet people that just gets shit done around town in, in a positive way that isn't commerce driven it's 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 longevity for us as a human species driven you know for the survival of our, us we can't keep going the way that we are just tearing down nature and putting up shit just for our own convenience and wealth uh, um you know the model's broken if you ask me uh and you didn't ask me so <laughs> i'll just say it anyway the model's fucking broken um so to talking to people like graham is is just is heartwarming and refreshing and scaring 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 scary all in one um you know like Anyway, look, I'll just let you enjoy our chat. Graham, thanks so much for coming over. I, I really do appreciate it. And I, I really appreciate what you do for our community. Graham is huge on thinking. Um, act local. I think I fucked this up. Act local and affect global. You know, like just you, you act locally and you show others what you can achieve on a small scale. And just take care of your own backyard. You know, what, what you can, your own side of the street and um and be an example lead by example so so thank you graham for everything that you do uh yeah you know it's just it's a weird time isn't it is if if you're um i mean i've been i've spoken to so many people and a lot of people are choosing not to to look into what is happening in the middle east and in the world at the moment and 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 where it could go you know it's frightening it is frightening um and my heart just goes out to everyone, all everyone. It's a fucking mess, you know. There's so much suffering. There's always so much suffering, but it's just we live in a bubble here. We are protected to some degree, you know. We have our own set of issues that we get wrapped up with, and and we do, and I do. I get wrapped up in my own set of issues, you know. And then uh, it's just I am so grateful for a quiet morning. You know, um, 
where I don't have to rush. I can have a coffee, a couple of coffees, check the news, check some YouTube, stretch, check the winds, just have room to breathe. You know, those mornings, which I had this morning, it's just like, that's what, you know, it's, it's all about. And, and I don't want to get too wooey or anything, but it's just like, it really is the simple things. When you look at what is happening and what is some people's reality today, right now, whenever you're listening to this, you know, wherever you are listening to this, it's, it's, it's you just got to take solace in, in the small, beautiful things in your life. And that's like loved ones, family, friends, chats, uh, clean air waves we are fucking lucky we are lucky anyway look i I don't mean to harp on this way but i just have had my news uh my news my news i've had my brain deep in the news since you know since shit went pear-shaped shit's always going pear-shaped i know that i know and the media pump it up but it's this is not pumped up this is a real reality and and it could go next level it's just you know I'll shut up because, like, in a week, in a month, in a year, this is like this. This point in time is is not. It'll be moved, and we'll be on the other side. And and there's going to be a lot of, you know, the world will be different. I think, maybe not ours. You know, we live in this bubble, and if you choose to look outside the bubble, you know. And if you don't, you know, if you're too busy just dealing with the woes in your in your bubble, I get it. Um, yeah. So anyway, look. Enjoy some sunshine. If you're getting some, enjoy some waves. Enjoy the loved ones. And I hope you enjoy my... I hope there's not too much of a, camp, a drainer. But, like, look, it is. We have lo- we have a lot to be thankful for. God damn, I'm going to start to waffle. I'm going to just shut up and throw you into my conversation with Graham Stockton. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until the end of this conversation, you'll hear my voice again. Adios. A complete and total barfarama. But there's parts of Grosman's Road that you drive down and I just look at it with all the trees overarching the road and I just think, well, it's just, you know, it just makes such a difference to the landscape and to how you how you move through the landscape. It's got all that extra additional ambience to it. It's such a nicer way to come into town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we should be kind of striving for that for all those roads um, and not instead uh, foregoing them um, because of, you know, developments of whatever they might be. It always seems that nature is the most expendable part in any any um, budget, uh, works, whatever. It, it's always the, the hard surfaces that, you know, that 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 get that attract the money and then um you know for whatever reason we we need to clear this patch and we don't really take into account ever really <laughs> uh how irreplaceable so many of those vegetation components are especially the understory what's the song put up a parking lot yeah yep you know, and it's like we spoke. Oh, I had a look. It was four years ago. Really? Yeah. Gee, <laughs> I know. And I was concerned about things, you know, then. And I feel like a lot has happened in the last four years. Yeah. But let's backpedal a little bit. What, what What have you been 
what's your been your your sort of through line have you had any changes of heart changes of career changes of (laughs) (laughs) no i feel like um i've been um continuing to do the same things that i was then um but probably even just a little bit more focused and um in in many ways uh the uh, a lot of it dances around that issue of trying to save the Spring Creek Valley because I see the land base as a central core for how people can galvanise around an issue and then use it as a platform to discuss the other sustainability or unsustainability issues, I should say, that um, that that we're all being confronted with. And so... In some areas, I kind of, you know, get a bit excited and make some gains and think, okay, um, this is this is good. Um, and then, like all things that are very challenging and hard to pull off, um, there are many setbacks on the way, and you kind of just have to work with the notion that um, there are always going to be setbacks, and if you're not prepared for it in your head to actually um, not just throw in the towel, but to actually think, okay, this is one of those setbacks, how do I work around it, you know, what do I do? Um, Then little by little by little, you can, I feel like we're making incremental ground on the whole issue. So... um, It's quite a nice philosophy to take into all aspects of life, really. Yeah, well, uh, you know, because you can be so deterred from so many things by having a bit of a setback and being like, oh, that didn't go how to plan. Fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, (laughs) it's too hard. (laughs) Yeah. You know, not allowing for that setback. Yeah. And it happens in, it doesn't matter how macro or micro you get, it it happens on all levels of life, I feel like. Yeah. When I think the other thing, too, is uh, as I get older, um, so I'm, you know, 62 on the way to, you know, not not too far away from 63. I'm very aware of um, just how the human body uh, starts to lose, um, uh, you know, uh, some of that agility. Uh, sore, you know, parts of the body start to become sorer. And there's a kind of a natural longevity to the human body and we've extended it. But I still am keen to try and um, see out what is, I think, a good vision um, within my lifetime and and within the time I've got to put energy into it. Uh, And that's that's kind of enough for me. Like, I'm I'm kind of quite happy plugging away at that issue um, knowing that nothing is for, for certain and um, I might never succeed, but there's lots of reasons for me to be also optimistic that we could succeed. So, And in the end, it's not, um, it's not uh, that I'm so community-minded, it's more that I'm nature-minded, to be frank. Uh, what is the equity for nature um, and, how, you know, what is their place on planet Earth when 
we just seem to um, become more and more disconnected to nature and um, see it as a novelty uh, experience rather than something that's um, deeply entwined into our own survival. But for me, you know, what, going out to Spring Creek Valley and seeing a wedgetail eagle soaring down the valley and maybe those magpies um, flying after it to give it a bit of stick, it's, um, it's just, I, just uh, every time it just, I just feel like I need to stand and look because it's a very privileged thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in our backyard. You know, that's it's right there. There's there's peregrine falcons, there's black shouldered kites, there's brown falcons. You don't see that in central Torquay. But just out our backyard, not far away, is this tremendous valley that's um difference in altitude seventy meters deep or uh, and, and in elevation down to the bottom of the creek. And there's this whole woodland ecology that's still we don't know all the th- the components of it. Um, recently, as in last week, I found um, the remains of an antichinus. And an antichinus is a carnivorous marsupial. It only has a lifespan, the male, for nine months, like which is extraordinary for um, a carnivorous animal. But what it does, the male gets to about that nine-month age, um, goes on an absolute breeding bender, and then dies. So there is a a period of time in um, the life cycle of Antichinus where there are no adult males in existence. The only ones that are there are juveniles, which are attached to the female. So it's so fragile. Well, it is, but it's lasted all this time, and swamp antichinus is now demonstrably in um, a state of decline and heading towards extinction. Uh, but we saw a great turnaround at Bell's Beach. Um, in the 1990s, there were surveys to find swamp antichinus, and they didn't find any. And in about 2015... I was just out going for a wander one day and saw the remains of a male antichinus. And that's that's the first time that we'd seen them in in all that period. And for me, I take that as a clear signal that all that revegetation and stewardship that had been applied to to that coastal strip from, you know, uh, all the way from... Bells heading east and then further west, back along towards Anglesey. All that stewardship to reconnect fragments and to provide continuity of habitat enabled that swamp antichinus to move linearly along the coast and to re-establish itself. What I continue to feel excited about is the fact that, you know, this antichinus was found in Spring Creek just one week ago and if we could apply um, careful land stewardship mm. with uh, a, a good, strong ecological focus, there's no end to what we could do. Um, and even a couple of weeks ago, I was reading a book uh, which talks about the historical settlement of the Barrable Hills and Belbray, and there is a specific mention, this is 1860, 
that they wanted to set up a school and the response was um, the only residents that are at Belbray are kangaroos and wombats. So that is, for me, the first time that I've seen written in the literature a reference to wombats in Belbray. And how good would it be for us as a community to go, you know what, in our 100-year vision, let's put wombats back into the landscape. Let's put koalas back into the landscape. They were here before us. Um, There's no reason why they can't be put back again. Uh, Just jumping back, I remember I think you said last time that you were like, when people are putting in gardens into their houses um, and landscaping but what they should do first is look at what birds are living in the area to Mm. accommodate and i just thought that was a very cool way of thinking about landscape gardening and that also ties into the corridor and nurturing aspect that we speak about for i don't know how to say the name of this little marsupial or the antichinus 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 yeah Antichinus. It yeah. almost sounds like yeah. anti-kindness because it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting twist. <laughs> what does it actually eat? It's carnivorous. So it's mostly feeding on things like skinks, uh, insects, um, ants, other invertebrates. I'm not sure about ants. But, um, you know, an echidna visited our place yesterday. And um, a really important thing for an echidna to have access to is fallen logs because Mm. fallen logs are where the ants live and they come and they turn those logs over uh, particularly the ones that have started to rot out and they they just busy use their strong forelegs to rip open the bark and get access to those ants and it turns out that um, in Australia, we've got the biggest range of ant species of anywhere on the planet. They're a really important part of our ecology. And even those jumping jacks that people don't like, they dig holes, uh, burrows in the soil, and they aerate the soil. So there's, plus they, a lot of those ants harvest our native seeds and they bring the seeds back down into the burrows and um, they only eat a certain part of the seed that still allows the seed to germinate. So the, the, the ants are effectively, you know, um, putting the, those seeds back in the soil and, and, and aiding germination. It's just such a terrific... Well, there's no mistakes in nature, right? No, no. It's everything, it affects everything yeah. and in a harmonious way, even though it look, might look brutal at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and people often say, well, what's the good of that? Um, you know, what's good of a fly or a it mosquito? It might bite me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's get rid of them. But they're, 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 for all sorts of reasons, food for something else, pollinators of plants, um, you know, uh, going back into the soil to provide extra nutrients once they die. There's, you know, there's never-ending list of interconnections that they, they make in ecology. Yeah, so... Um, I'm I'm at a bit of a loss with, you know, I I love talking to you, Graham, and I love what you do, and I think you know you give hope and uh, aspir- inspiration to many around here. 
Um, but as I look at the life that uh, we are all in at the moment and the division that's been created mm. on it's just so many levels, uh, I, I and I really I really worry, you know, I, like especially lately, like you know, in the last you could go, you could drill back and go, oh, the Ukraine, and then you, you come forward and you, you can say, you know, what's happening in Australia at the moment with the division. It's, I just don't want to get into this topic, but it's so fucking, everything's so exhausting at the moment. But then you look at the Middle East now and then, mm. you know, then you, you come back here and you look at, since we last spoke, what's happened between here and Grovedale. And, mm. um, you know, I... I, I, I <laughs> I don't know. You know, it makes me want to get my bat and ball and just fucking piss off. Yeah. Do you have such thoughts? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, the way I deal with it is to continue to seek out information about uh, what what responses that we can make, because um, having information uh, is useful um, and it's 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 not that I'm I'm the diva on any of this. There are actually many many groups all across the planet, and we luckily we've got that interconnection through you know the web and all that sort of stuff that can provide um, useful thoughts on 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 what responses need to happen, and actually even more than that, trying to understand what's actually happening i'm reading an interesting book at the moment by peter turchin called end times and the book is really very much about cycles and how great civilizations throughout history have um, gone through periods of ascendancy and prosperity but then ultimately release and disruption and um, failure and what this guy does, he uses a term called um, uh, cliodynamics, which is the uh, study of history through mathematics and and science and trying to analyse what the cycles were and whether any of those civilizations have got um, similar cycles mathematically, if you like. And... Um, the interesting thing is that they do, and the interesting thing is that we continue to follow those same patterns. Mm. But um, having at least the understanding of what's happening there with those cycles means that we can actually not follow the same patterns and actually work differently. Um, so all that sort of stuff I find is just something that's part of a toolkit that I can work with that... Uh, Sorry, can I just interject? If he yeah. can break it down to a mathematical equation where civilizations sit at any one point of their bell curve, um, where might we be sitting? Well, we're sitting in, in the disruption um, descendancy we're right, we're right, phase. Yeah, okay. yeah. So... Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but as as someone um, much smarter than me said, we're 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 very good at actually working out what um, the pivotal t- 
turning points are. We're, we're, we're very good at understanding what they are. It's just that we push the levers in the wrong direction. So the, close, the, the, the easiest example for all that is the whole thing about our sustainability and um, what we need to do at this time. And the global economy says we need to relentlessly push forward for growth. But if you look at um, all the living planet indicators, and there are nine planetary boundaries that we shouldn't transgress, uh, that's according to science. So what was that? Uh, planetary boundaries. There's nine of them? Nine of them. What, what does that mean? Um, so things like uh, the nitrogen cycle, um, phosphorus cycle, climate change, um, uh, ocean acidification, um, novel entities with chemicals, all of those um, uh, water supply, all those things are critical to our existence on planet Earth. Right. And when those planetary boundaries are pushed outside what's sustainable, then you end up with a big problem. Climate change is the most obvious one. So all that fossil fuels that we pushed out into the atmosphere, it's, it's, it's causing a whole global disruption to um, ecosystems all across the planet, um, marine and terrestrial. So what those, those scientists are able to say is that we need to actually establish um, a society globally that keeps within those nine boundaries, but we've already transgressed six of them, possibly seven. So it's, that, that says, in a nutshell, that what we're doing is unsustainable. Mm. That means we have to change. Unfortunately, with the whole notion of growth, it's actually pushing those boundaries further and further and further away. So someone might say, well, the nitrogen cycle, why is that so important? But that shows up in places like um, the Murray-Darling and Menindi uh, and in ocean areas too, where the nitrogen from extra farming has flowed down into those river systems, caused huge algal outbreaks, um, lost all the oxygen in the soil, in the water, and along with climate change and the extra heating, has caused all those massive fish kills. That's that's so. It's not. It, it's happening in rivers. It's happening in creeks. It's happening in the see, oceans. Uh, those photos of the rivers and all the fish are just belly up. Yeah, they're all yeah. just because of the o- low, low oxygen levels. Uh, high nit- nitrogen. High high nitrogen yeah. and phosphorus. So all those things are just telling us. Clearly, warning, warning signs. Then, yeah, yeah, that we need to actually change what we're doing. But the, the the other part of that whole equation is that there are economists working on alternative econo- economic models, and the one that's most widely known at the moment is one by Kate Rayworth called Donut Economics, and um, the whole concept of donut economics is that the outer ring uh, represents what our limits are in terms of those planetary boundaries so we need to have an economy that fits within that outer ring 
The inner ring is what all governments try to provide in terms of social services, hospitals, jobs, education, um, a room to live, you know, a place to live, etc. The trouble is we're failing at both ends now. We're failing at that social end on the inner circle and we're failing on the outer circle. And continuing to push growth just makes both of those um, components more and more difficult to achieve. So um, I had a conversation with a friend last night and I, I admittedly, I'm, you know, economics is not my <laughs> forte, but he was explaining to me because, you know, I, for my work, I do a few Ks and I filled up my car this week and it was the most expensive it's ever mm. cost by a long shot, 280 bucks. Wow. Woo. Even the bloke at the counter went that that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know when the servo dude's going like that, you know there's a problem. I was like, oh my god, I couldn't believe. Anyway, and so we were having this chat about inflation and interest rates, and I didn't really realise what was happening. And you might know a bit more about this, but I'll tell you what he told me, and if it makes sense. So he says the powers to be are pushing interest rates up to slow spending to drive inflation down, down yeah which i did not realize and so i didn't i just thought they were putting interest rates up so they could make more money and i didn't realize they were trying to stop people spending money so the reason they're pushing interest rates up is so people have less money to spend so they're purposefully strangling us <laughs> to bring inflation down I just don't understand how inflation, who's pulling the inflation lever, or is that just greed? Well, it's coming out of the housing market, and and housing prices are continuing to rise, which puts pressure on inflation. Um, and that's it, it, it's it's just a, a very difficult tightrope to walk. But unfortunately, that's because our whole economy is based on the notion that we have to have growth if we don't have growth and and it stalls we go into an epileptic fit but can't if i can see it i'm not the sharpest tool in the shed that uh growth is not the way forward yeah well i mean i think i've been on that um treadmill for a long time too now uh and I don't, I don't, at some point, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we, we, we actually change. That, that whole concept of donut economics at the moment is really starting to take off in Europe and, and, and other places and even in sort of um, local areas uh, across the world where, you know, cities are actually incorporating it into the way they think. Um, so it is going to happen. I don't know when, but um, I guess the, the the thing that I take out of that whole stuff, is, all that stuff about donut economics, is I'm I'm not waiting for the people up in the upper hierarchy to make the move. Um, we can actually do that stuff locally to 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 incorporate that into how we think about things. So once again, I'll come back to Spring Creek because it's such an important platform. But 
tourism in uh, the Surf Coast Shire is the central key economic driver. If we look after our land base, we actually feed into that tourism opportunity. If we don't and, and we just build all over it, then we're just subtracting from that very land base. Visitors miss out. Um, the people that live here miss out. The animals and the birds and nature misses out. But I'm sure those power to be are just thinking, well, it's just bells and winky. Yeah. But well, how, how wrong they would be, I'm agreeing. Yeah. But I'm just trying to look from what they're looking at. I'm sure they're just like... Yeah, well, the, the, the overriding um, move... Uh, the over the, the overriding um, thrust of things at the moment is still towards uh, development because if you've got land that's kind of marginal to um, the the town area, then the whole economic system makes it so that that land becomes very expensive and it's just... Um, you can't... I guess you can't blame people. They just... Uh, think okay uh, this is time for me to make my um, you know to cash in Uh, but it's it's a model that's out of date now and we can't continue to keep working like that I've been working on um, a large revegetation project in Maryjig Creek this year and I've done it with a whole heap of partners including you know board riders at Quicksilver, Rip Curl Torquay Landcare District, um, the Surf Coast Inland Plains Network, uh, Surfers Appreciating Natural Environment, Surf, um, Surf Coast Energy Group, uh, um, Rewilding Freshwater Creek. We've all been working on this project, which is the restoration of swampy riparian woodland, uh, which is in the upper reaches of Maryjig Creek. Um, and, and if you look at any of those land units you can actually divide them up into different ecological vegetation classes and the vegetation class that that particular part of the landscape occupies is called swampy riparian woodland well for the last long period of time it's just been swampy riparian no trees they've all been cleared but as of this year with the united effort with all those people collaborating we've actually reinstated that swampy riparian woodland. Um, Just as seedlings, it'll take a long time for them to mature, but we've started the process of um, land stewardship and looking after nature. And I make the point that um, every year, year in, year out, we continue to make roads and highways so that we've got connections between ourselves and other communities so that we can move more freely between those communities. But those very same roads are often huge barriers to wildlife to move across the landscape. And what we need to do is actually reinstate those that connectivity and those highways for, for them. Um, and if we don't, we'll continue to see the decline which was highlighted in the 2037 biodiversity report by the state government that nature is on the back foot now and it is at a state level at a a national level and at an international level so we need to actually think about what their needs are 
and let's be ambitious like for spring creek valley we've got a 100 year vision let's be ambitious let's put those things back into the landscape because they were there before we were did you see the david attenborough documentary where he goes through the documentary and every like 20 minutes 10 minutes i don't know but he does a uh uh, a nature a wild nature and what do you call it like when civilizations moved in and pushed it out that map of the percentages have you seen that i haven't seen it no oh my god and it goes from when he was a young man starting his career to Mm. what what percentage of the world was wild and Mm. and real to that 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 um that arm wrestle ah fuck by the end it's it's, it's... the 97 percent of all the larger terrestrial mammals on planet earth are either humans or cattle or sheep or our livestock there's only three percent of the remaining um mammal fauna is actually wild so I guess the problem is at the moment, every 12 years, we're essentially adding another billion people onto the planet. And it's just, it's not, it's not sustainable. So when you, no, I don't think so either. And it's not, that's not even a question. But when you look at the Australian government and how many people we bring into the country to help our growth model each year, and then you say, all right, well, like, interest rates are through the roof. I know, I don't know how many people I know who are like absolutely struggling or moved out of their home because they can't afford to pay the mortgage anymore. Um, yet house prices are still mm. going up. Mm. Um, uh, and that's because, would you say, because we are sticking to this growth model and bringing people into the country at like, I don't know how many people they're bringing in every year, but it's a lot. And I'm not saying that you know, some people are under you know, threat to die and we mm. do it for, you know, refugee status and blah, blah, blah. But, but some of it's not and it's just for the model. Mm. Am I wrong or am I wrong? No, no, you're pretty, pretty well correct. Like the, the, the reasons that we've got such a large immigration rate is, as you say, to support that growth model and is for Australia's economic interests. So there's very little actually that's about... Um, being altruistic and supporting refugees. That's only a very minor component of the whole immigration. So uh, you see countries all around the world struggling with that issue now because refugees in particular are moving um, uh, across into other areas that they perceive as being a little bit safer, um, more economic opportunity. And it's it's sort of a tragedy that's unfolding um, because it, once again it, it it feeds into that whole sustainability issue about what governments can support and um, what's what what is the carrying capacity what are the opportunities and uh, are those places becoming um, uh, overrun with 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 all the needs of 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 people, and what we do about that is a very difficult question. I mean, that whole issue of more and more refugees is absolutely going to um, increase and become 
more and more difficult as time goes by as, as a result of climate. So um, we, we, yeah, we actually need to uh, address that issue, but I don't, I don't see anyone really um, thinking about how we actually do that equitably. That, that there is a really important um, component to this, and that is that without equity um, and uh, people achieving at at least a sense of um, of of you know a house over their head, a job, um, and and a reason to live. Uh, without that, you get instability. And without that, you end up with um, I- internal conflict. Could you say that's what we're seeing play out right now? Oh, right? you see that with Trump. In, in Trump, but yeah. in the Middle East, highlighting. Oh, well, it, yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. That's that. That's um, you know, there's just different levels of it, and and you see it uh, across the world now because we've we we actually have transgressed those barriers, and when governments say that they will make you know times great again they they literally can't because the planet can't support our demands so they can make the great promises and it's usually the demagogues that move into place because they're promising something that the people want but but the planet actually literally cannot support it the planet at the moment just on a mathematical basis requires 1.7 planet's worth of resources to operate the the global economy so we're literally liquidating um, the planet's resources year on year out um, in order to run the global economy and it's like a credit card the credit card will ultimately come to a point where the bank calls it in and you and you owe the debt and and the planet's going to do the same it's not it's just literally not sustainable to keep doing what we're doing because you can't we don't have 1.75 planets uh and if we all lived like australians it's closer to five planets did i see in the news the other day they were looking at an asteroid yeah and i saw a financial figure attached to that asteroid worth of minerals or something or something (laughs) with it was like what am I re- looking at right now? Like we are at the point where we're staying. Look at rocks flying by for that, shit that we might be able to make a phone out of. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of funny. But it, you know, it wasn't that a film called um, Don't, Don't Look, Look Up. Up? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> totally, yeah. I know. Um, it, yeah. Reality is so much. I don't know. Um, closer than what we. Film, films are actually portraying a reality that's much closer than what we think. Oh, right. And I think that Don't Look Up was a metaphor for climate change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So also the other thing, like, you know, I don't... I know I keep harping back to this, but it's relevant at the minute. But this is the thing. We're a multicultural society these days, right? And we've been mm, mm, that way for a long time. We have so many different communities living here Mm -hmm. and um, with so many different agendas and we are trying our best to live harmoniously within that framework. And I just, this is where I just see that the, uh, so 
I don't understand why we take a stand on something that we've just seen happening, transpiring, when we have a huge Israeli community here and we have a huge Palestinian community here, right? And we want to, to, to be a multicultural society, so we need to be embracing of all cultures mm-hmm. and all people, no matter what creed, whatever they come from. Mm-hmm. Yet when this happens, we go and divide ourselves again. And say, we're standing with this pocket of people. Well, if you're in the minority of that pocket of people living here, you'd feel, I'd feel hurt. Mm. And so, good, bad or ugly, we're, I don't know why, but this is, I was thinking about this, yeah, just driving home last time. <laughs> but it just, it, it, this, this sort of insensitive infuriates me because on, on, I feel like they're just asking for trouble. But Yeah. Well, I think there was a person interviewed on the television, a Palestinian interviewed on the television last night on the news, and he said, I just want the world to realise that an Israeli child is worth no more than a Palestinian child, and we need to actually use different... We, well, we need to actually do things differently... Because the, I don't know, it's so it's so sad. Um, all that, apart from anything, all the waste of resources that that goes into a conflict like that. Um, and you can be sure as eggs, it's not going to resolve anything. It's just going to make it worse. So, um, I don't pretend to be an expert at all in any of those Middle Eastern matters. Um, it's easy to look across though and sort of think, um, yeah, you guys maybe need to sort yourselves out. <laughs> but uh, it's so much more complex. And I, uh, I get back to that earlier comment about being in a, uh, in a disruption phase. It's, it's kind of happening everywhere. And the biggest challenge that i can see in 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 probably the richest country which is you know the united states is that they're they're not too far away from being in big trouble um if by chance donald trump or one of his acolytes ever got into power again um i don't i'm I'm just not sure what that that would mean for uh you know, the world as we know it anyway. Well, the world as we know it is so... It's like COVID was just such a, an example of that. You know, there was times that the supermarket yeah, had nothing in it, you know. And so, like, even before COVID, you know, it's funny. I, always, I have some friends that hate going to the supermarket. I, I quite enjoy it myself. <laughs> but I like going in there and imagining that I'm from, like, 100 years ago. Yeah. And could you imagine explaining to someone from 100 years ago that you could walk into this shop yeah. and there would be everything that you could possibly imagine to eat, plus some. Yeah, that you've spoiled never, for choice. Right? Yeah. And, but then, you know, just a, a few small disruptors and like COVID, you know, it's, and, and suddenly things like that, are, you know, mm. we are fragile. Yeah. We're, we're not many steps away from being no food on the table. Yeah, um, 
So you're talking before, and I, I and it's so weird because I had this written down at the top of my list here, mm. and I was thinking, you know, I always run around going, ah, oh, every civilization has collapsed, you know, and um, but you know what? There is an exception to that. The Aboriginals. That's it. And that was my epiphany last night. Look, I've written it down right here. Yeah, and I was, and I've been saying that for years. But the Aboriginals question mark question mark question mark. I didn't think of that. Except for us coming in and interfering. They lived here for 60,000 years in harmony. Yeah. Yeah, so... I couldn't believe I didn't... Yeah. So that is extraordinary. And I think... um, I think... The the big difference between their way, their their worldview, and European um, worldviews and Asian, etc., is that um, they actually didn't try to conquer each other. In in fact, they did the reverse. They extended um, commercial trading across the whole of Australia. And when people from other communities um, were, were travelling into the area that they looked after, they, they had a formal set of welcoming. And different communities from all over Australia uh, at different times would actually all get together and there'd be, uh, you know, a big corroboree and stuff. So they, they had this totally different model of how to be and it was all based on, you know, the carrying capacity and, and you know, over, over a period of time they learnt about nature and, and, and how to um, sustain themselves uh, sustainably. And... The whole idea uh, of um, one particular uh, group taking over the whole of Australia or, or, or different parts of it, that, that was totally foreign to them. They didn't do it. And, I, I, and, and that was only, um, you know, only that, that, uh, that the penny only dropped on that after reading, um, uh, uh, was it um, Dark Emu? Mm-hmm. Yeah by Bruce Pascoe. And I thought that was his most important point out of the whole thing, actually, that here's a, here's a culture that's actually operated on a totally different um, worldview and, and, and it just goes to show that it, it can be done, you know, if, if you actually start to look at things in a different way um, and instead of losing our connection to nature, we actually rebuild it. I mean, so many people that I talk to, they just don't have any idea about what the local bird life is around them. They see a sparrow and then you ask, is that a native bird or, you know, I just thought, really? (laughs) We're about as far disconnected from nature as we have ever been. It seems so. I mean, no. I mean, the phone has the the modern devices cooked us. Yeah, it will swing back again, and um, and that's and and that's why I think um, at a community level, there needs to be a conversation that actually uh, talks about these issues and reestablishes. Um, those deep links with nature again. Uh, um, uh, you know, you, you keep going back to a couple of things on your notes and stuff, and I keep going back to some of my things. But one of those things, like uh, on that Merrijig Creek with that replanting, 
it will probably take around about 150 years, maybe 200 years, for it to mature as a a mature landscape. Mm-hmm. And I've used um, this in numerous conversations before as well, that if Governor Arthur, Arthur Phillip, when he arrived in Sydney, planted a river red gum, then that river red gum would only just now becoming useful in terms of a hollow uh, for something like a kookaburra or an owl. So nature takes a long time to build those homes. When we do our reveg, we're only putting back, A, a basic assemblage of what was there originally, but then putting back something that's 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 for the future, um, you know, for, for for nature in future, and I guess for future generations to enjoy. But it also means that there's you know there's over three hundred hollow dependent species that rely on those hollows as part of their life cycle, whether they're ground hollows or um, arboreal ones, and uh, we actually need to start putting them back as well um, as part of what we do to retrieve nature in our in our own backyard so uh i i I think there's a whole discussion to be had about how we can do farming sort of so much better that's actually more ecologically friendly um how we can uh think about uh what are the limits to growth? I think that's a really important question. And can I just pause you on that and just yeah. and just flesh that out a little bit? Like, what what thoughts do you have around that? Well, I think it, um, the the four the four things that I think I've spoken to you before about is this E four crisis, which is ecology, economy, um, equity, and energy. Energy being the flip side of climate change, so those they're four huge areas, but they're four areas that actually can serve as a roadmap to what a local community might need to think about, um, and 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 you can break equity down further. Equity for people that we talked about before, those people on lowest um, economic. Um, uh, levels of income, um, equity for future generations. Are we going to? Are they going to inherit a better planet or a worse off planet because of what we're doing right now? And equity for nature. So th- there's there's three things just just there with equity that actually goes. Okay, we need we need to think about those. How are we going to manage that as a as as our own you know community? Because the opportunities for rent. Uh, um, paradoxically have gone down as we've grown and the sort of um, things that we're creating is is a, a community for wealth and not a community that is incorporating opportunity for those people that are less wealthy um, and then that whole thing about energy how do we how do we actually uh, create movement through the landscape that's not relying solely on heavy vehicles so bicycles and um and and pedestrian access and uh, that comes down to our economy is our economy just going to be built on this short-term notion of um building grow 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 which is kind of what the city of greater geelong has done they've pretty much the mcdonald's of um of 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 uh 
councils, I reckon. They've just kind of built out to the whole four corners of, of their land and nature's taken a big hit in, in that whole process. Um, and when they get to that point, what's next is my question. Where, where do they go to? Where does Geelong Boundary on here? Is it Mount Dunedin? Is yeah, that... it's Mount Dunedin. Okay. Yeah. So they're continuing to like literally come right up to the... Oh, that edge of that roundabout, something big's going in there, you can yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, what, what's next after that? Um, the Moorable River is over-allocated. The Bowen River is over-allocated. The Moorable River only runs at 10% its original volumes. What happens to the platypus? 10%? 10%, yeah. Um, what, what happens to the platypus that are in there, you know, and all these other things? Um, it would be far smarter to develop... Um, a whole strategy around carrying capacity instead of circumventing those natural um, limitations, which is what we typically do with, um, uh, you know, water supply and stuff like that. I mean, we're now thinking about desalination so that we can increase our our water supply um, locally, but that carries negatives as well, including huge, vast amounts of energy, Where's the energy going to come from? If it's coming from renewable energy, then that means it's renewable energy that's not being used to lower our carbon emissions. It's just being used to promote growth. So we're effectively not going anywhere. Um, There's also all the brine that's involved with um, uh, all that desalination process and creating dead zones in the ocean. So none of those things are um, just get free cards, um, get out of jail, get free cards, um, they all have costs. And so we've come to that point in um, uh, uh, how we live in 2023 where there are big questions about how we live and and what we do. And knowing that if we continue to keep doing what we're doing, it's actually going to come... Uh, uh, it'll mean failure ultimately Um, and there'll already be big disruptions simply because of what we've done so far Uh, and that's why I keep pulling it back to as a local community what do we what's our response look like Um, how is our resilience going to um, be in the face of all those things and um, and 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 what about creating a model that actually is something that other communities can follow um, a model that actually does try to look after the poorest in our community that does look after nature um, and and all those other things have you had much support from the surf coast in your... Yeah, in principle, um, the, I think uh, one of the one of the key things that I'd uh, love to get across is actually community purchase of land within the Spring Creek Valley. Uh, mathematically, it's actually not it's not so hard because mathematically we've got twelve thousand ratepayers. In the surf, in the three double two eight postcode, twelve thousand ratepayers times a fully tax deductible two hundred dollar 
donation, I'd say it's investment, equals $2.4 million. $2.4 million times maybe a couple of years would allow the community to purchase land within the valley. It's a very, it's a very little, tiny uh, um, cost burden to carry on each ratepayer, in, but the rewards are just huge uh, in terms of what it could do. So I've actually been working on that model for quite a while and um, slowly inching my way forward, um, but there continues to be just little barriers that um, uh, are in front of me. Things like, um, at the moment, the developers have taken the state government and the Sefco Shire to the Supreme Court to try and overturn the decision in Spring Creek Valley. You're kidding. No, no. That that the the court the the case was heard in August, but we won't get a decision by the judge until um, early twenty twenty four. That's really important because that will help determine what the zoning is. So we're already moving towards a, a zoning, um, potentially rural conservation zone or farming zone. Um, I think more likely rural conservation zone. When that zoning is fully applied, it means that there will be a 50-year horizon of no development on um, Spring Creek Valley. If the community purchased land within the valley and with all the... Is the that list, possible if that went through? Yeah. 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 That, that, that's what I'm, I'm kind of working towards yeah. here. It, it, there'd be a complete registration list of all the people that have supported it i like the tractor bells what's that like the tractor bells the list of people that tipped in to have that track put in yeah 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 like that but this would be essentially bulk participation by Mm. all of the community in something that's an investment in their own prosperity and it would be having nature in perpetuity in our backyard uh, the potential to create trails um, west to Belbray and across to Janjuk. Um, we're, and we're already working on that with the Spring Creek Valley Ridgeline Trail that's that's operating adjacent to the Great Ocean Road. Um, it would be an opportunity for the community to develop, let's say, a community solar energy farm. And... If we let's just use round numbers here. If we had a hundred acres and you developed a community solar farm, that would take up about five acres. So nothing in the scheme of things. Uh, we could also develop our own community food orchard and vegetable growing. And I've got quite a bit of sort of because of my horticultural background, got quite a bit of expertise in that and how we could massively excuse me, produce all sorts of things, um, you know, fruit, vegetables, that would be part of what our own community can do. And we could provide education assistance. You've got Christian College there already. You've got Belbray Primary School. Education assistance uh, and using Spring Creek Valley as a key resource for all that educational opportunity for kids to play in nature, etc., etc. Uh, and 
it also means that the community is not sitting on its hands mm. uh, over that 50-year horizon knowing that if we don't act, if we don't act, then the developers will be coming for that land. Mm. Sooner or later, they'll be coming. This is an opportunity to actually do something of great significance that speaks to sustainability, that speaks to those four E's, uh, and it's a model that can be taken to other communities. So I'm I'm actually really excited. Well, it's a nice model that, that goes back to what we're talking about within when different communities within the Aboriginal structure would go into each other's community and we have something to offer. Well, that's a great um, uh, segue there, actually, John, because what we could do as a community is employ uh, Wadawurrung Rangers as a, as a community mm. to to actually provide that ecological stewardship on our community land, but then outreach work further up the valley because there's a lot of work that can be done in terms of environmental weed management, um, you know, reintroduction of species, et cetera, et cetera. It would be such a great model that enables the Wadawurrung people back on their own land to do ecological stewardship and to for it to be a genuine um, combined effort in, in, in looking after our own backyard. So uh, there, there, and there are other things as well. Like if you look at Ashmore Arts, mm. Ashmore Arts is uh, a property where the owner has used his own creativity to develop an income model that re- relies on um, using the land intensively at the top for arts uh, and and renting out studios and then uh, keeping the rest of that land entirely for nature. It, it can be done and as we work towards looking after nature in our backyard, we will be able to realise more and more uh, economic opportunities that don't work to the degradation cycle but actually work in the opposite direction it's it's kind of it, it, in many ways that's what keeps me going because the maths it like the maths is like it's ridiculous it's not that hard but the hardest part is actually communicating that to the broader public mm. um, and getting them to get buy-in mm. on this mm-hmm. like if you live in north t north torquay Without actually understanding the issues, you might say, I'm, you know, I don't go there, it's not worth it for me. But it so totally is um, in terms of, you know, what, what, what you can do and the model that it creates and, and all the, the benefits that it would provide. Um, so, yeah, so that's where I'm at. I think it sounds unreal. That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. I, look, the the other thing is, I know other communities are looking at what's happening here in Torquay. Uh-huh. Um, it's been written about, uh, and I've had numerous conversations with those other communities, particularly from across the Mornington Peninsula, um, you know, Anglesey, Bowen Heads, etc., about how the community can take back its future mm-hmm. and not forego it because um, developers and politicians direct it for us. 
that's the exciting part about it. It's it's something that we can work on collectively to create something that's meaningful and responsive to all those twenty first century issues. Mm. I love it. Have you had? had so have you floated this to them? Um, we're 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 kind of working on it. Yeah. Um, gently, I'm, gently. Yeah, gently, gently, and and as I say, there's always been these hurdles to jump that keep coming out from. You of know, course, we thought yeah. we, we we thought we'd kind of jumped over that hurdle when um, the premier said there won't be one foot of development west of Duffields Road. We thought we'd jump that hurdle when the distinctive area landscape process was put in place, um, and then we thought we'd jumped it again after that process when the planning minister. Uh, came out in full support of the community and said there won't be any development west of Duffields Road. So these developers are just as bad as Big Pharma, really, because Big Pharma are taking um, you know governments to mm. court and suing them for loss of revenue because they banned a drug that's hurting people, you know, or they say, no, we don't like your drug here, and, we, and they, so they take them to court and then everyone's fucking scared of Big Pharma. What the fuck is wrong with these developers? Well, you know what? No I- means no. Yeah, well, I think the the trouble is the governments, successive governments, have unwittingly created a, a an economic formula that hands all the power over to those corporates, and the corporates are coming back to bite them. So, um, you, you know, we saw that with the subprime market and the and the big crash where all those big businesses were too big to fail and Lehman Brothers and all that sort of stuff. It's the same. It's the same thing. Uh, and I'll I'll be very interested to see what what decision the judge hands down in early twenty twenty four. I'm still very optimistic that we'll win. January. Uh, well, I don't, I'm just saying early 2024 because I don't, you know, not much yet's done in January, so it yeah. could be February, okay. you know, it could yeah. be March. Yeah, yeah. So we just have to keep playing the game. Um, and in the meantime, I keep just working with the things that I can work with, like establishing that there are antichinus in the valley, for instance, continuing to do the revegetation work, continuing to do the environmental weed management, um, continuing to work with the Ridgeline Trail, which now involves both those schools and the Department of Transport. Um, and uh, w- w- SKEG's Surf Coast Energy Group's AGM is coming up and we've invited as our guest speaker, Barbara, um, Professor uh, Dr Barbara Wilson, She's the person who's done all the work in the Otways on um, small mammals and uh, has lived for most of her life in Anglesey and is a, um, you know, a professor and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and she's coming to talk to us about a, a really terrific project, which is once again a community project at Painkalate Creek, in which um, what was a horse paddock has been bought by a private landowner. There's been a concerted effort by a whole heap of people in the community to put nature back into that valley. And uh, Barbara's done all the the work on um, the post-revegetation analysis 
and she's been able to document all these species that are actually moving back in all these native animals are moving back into the landscape and it's a direct response to community uh, stewardship and it demonstrates what community can achieve if 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 they set their mind to it so community you know we're all accustomed to hearing that um humans screw everything up it doesn't have to be that way yeah it, it can actually be a very positive thing yeah the and and as you say you know first nations people proved it um and and it's time for us to prove it uh, and and so anyway she's going to come and, and and talk and i think the really uh, great sorry when and where uh, so it's going to be at Patagonia, and yeah. it's on this Thursday, the 16th of November, um, starting at 6 p.m. And it's um, $5 entry for um, by donation for members or $10 uh, for non-members. And there'll be a light meal provided and drinks as well. So it's got everything going for it. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm going to come along to that. Yeah, well, it, it'll be a good night. And um, yeah, so she's doing wonderful things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's uh, as I say, she's been the leading light on on um, understanding population dynamics for all these different animals. You know, southern brown bandicoots, andacinus, um, smoky mouse, all these different little native animals that are part of the Otway range, um, a number of which are disappearing. Um, and working out, okay, what, what is it that these little these crew need? What what are the threats? Um, how are they moving across the landscape? What do they need from us? You know, in terms of um, looking after their opportunities. So um, when you said at the start, sorry, just to hop yeah, back, you yeah. said, oh, I, I was just taking a wander and I noticed. Um, and a kindness uh, remains yeah. at near Bells, and it just struck a chord with me. How often, when you this just said, when you go for a wander, a wander, are you just going for an aimless walk to just be in nature and see what you observe, or are you walking with intention? You know, because it's if I'm going for a walk, it's usually to walk the dog, or it's just it's with intent. Mm-hmm. But when you say it the way you said it, it made me feel like you were just going out into nature and just letting yeah. that guide you as a, like a wander. You know? Yeah. I, I I just get so much out of being in nature. And a, a lot of the time it's just that opportunity to reconnect with, um, with things in nature, remembering to look up as well, you know, to see what the birds are doing. Um, so... It's got, you, you can just be constantly surprised if if I mean the other day we were working out in an area and there was um, a peregrine falcon attacking a, a, um, a brown falcon and the people I was with were all busy sort of chatting to each other they didn't see it at all and there was this amazing like they actually the peregrine falcon actually collided with the the brown falcon and i just wow look at that everyone (laughs) yeah Yeah. so there's just all these things that i find particularly just find stimulating and um a source of inspiration 
and um, yeah, I, yeah. There was a yeah. there was a few Friday nights ago. I don't know if it was it was maybe two. It was before the grand final. It was really it was like four foot and glassy, and it was the full moon night. And after I got out of the water on right mm. on dark, I walked Frankie down to the corner at Bells, and. There was the full moon and there was tuna balls and someone said they had seen a a whale and then right on dark and the moon shining there was I've never seen them in do it in Victoria, but dolphins punching out the face of the waves. Yeah, right. You know, and then the wave would go and then they'd punch out the face again. Like you see it in New South Wales a lot. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it down here. Yeah. Like usually down here they're sort of just jumping out the back or And it was one of those nights where it was just like it's so mystical. Yeah. Everything was just felt. Yeah, amazing. that moon was a huge, huge moon. Yeah, yeah. There was an energy. It was hard to describe. That really gave me a lot of charge. Yeah, I, I, I don't reckon you can underestimate that charge that you get out of just um, being in nature, and all of a sudden being totally senses just swamped with wow, this is just so awesome. I often find that on my hikes to Tassie, actually. Tasmania is just, it's so different to the eastern seaboard, mainland. Um, and so, so the, yeah, it's just geographically, floristically. Um, I always find it a real recharge to, to walk in those areas. I actually find it a recharge to walk down in Spring Creek Valley, you know. I like continue to think about is okay how do we get to the next steps mm. Mm. well i think graham that with people like you around that there is hope for us to get to those next steps yeah thanks john i i um i i kind of look i, I just look at all the assistance that we got at this in, in mary jig creek with rip curl quicksilver patagonia has always been supportive um, those big corporates, uh, and and then all those other groups that are working towards the same end. Um, there's good reason to be optimistic. Yeah. So um, I sort of take, I just keep that in my back pocket, you know, and um, keep plugging away. On this beautiful day, I'll probably go for a swim and maybe a surf. <laughs> Graham, thank you so much for coming and talking to me. I really appreciate it. You have given me an air of uh, optimis- optimism that was maybe because I was up late looking at the news. <laughs> had diminished a little bit until the sunshine this morning helped yeah. bring it back. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, well, um, uh, it's always uh, a pleasure to talk to you too, John. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Graham. Yeah, bye. Cheers, bye. Well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than Graham Stockton. Graham, if you're out there, thank you so much for coming over and having a conversation with me, talking me through, you know, Talking me through, uh, 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 and I know I keep pushing the agenda uh, in the conversation to a global and you keep bringing it back to um, a local. And I love that. I love that about you, Graham. You, you, you keep your head in the game and you, you, you push your energy into things that you can truly uh, change and affect. And, and I love that. Uh, maybe I'm too wooey and my head, like, you know, I get stuck in this, like, the big 
picture and I'm, what am I doing with that? I can't do anything about that. I know conversations are great. You know, I get a lot from listening to other people's conversations and listening to people and talking to people. I just, uh, you know, I just love a connection um, and, and talking about these things. Um, I just listened to an amazing podcast with Mark Marin and Arnold Schwarzenegger, believe it or not. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, uh, WTF, what the fuck? Um, Mark Marin's conversation with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just, I loved it. It really made my morning. Um, yeah. Arnold's got a, an amazing perspective on life. I, I love it. I think there's a lot to be taken from the big fella, you know? Anyway, whoever you are out there in the wide world, thank you so much for tuning into The Horse's Mouth. Really appreciate it. And I hope this finds you smiling and well. I, I truly do. Okay. Until next time. Adios. <laughs>